You're listening to Real Life at the Ridge, the preaching ministry of Chestnut Ridge Church. Well, it is great to be with you this morning. And again, Merry Christmas. I caught them off guard. Hey, Merry Christmas to y'all. All right, good deal, good deal. Just want to make sure y'all here. Um, man, we have so many things to be thankful for, don't we? Amen. We do. Um, just, uh, I know uh, he probably don't want it to be no spectacle, but we do want to uh, welcome Brock back uh, this morning, uh, in this morning. Yeah. Um, just very thankful for, uh, just very thankful for God uh, choosing to uh, bless you. And that's for sure. And that's his own words. Uh, just don't understand why, do you, bud? I, I don't, I, I understand. But it, we give him the glory this morning for what he has done, for sure. And it's great to see y'all in, uh, in here today and great to have everybody here this morning. I want to invite you to turn with me, if you will. I want to take just a moment and I want to look at Luke chapter 1. Uh, we're not going to, we're going to stay there, but not stay there. In Luke chapter 1, I'm going to read verses 31 through 37, and I want to, um, I want to just kind of, I want to show you where we see the start of Christmas, as we call it, I guess, with the birth of Christ. But then I want to take things, and I want to show you, try to show you this morning, the miracle of Christmas even after the birth of Christ. So this morning in John, uh, Luke chapter 1, sorry, Luke chapter 1, verses 31 through 37, the Bible reads like this. It says, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. And verse 37 says, For with God nothing will be impossible. Let's pray. Father, would you take your word today? Let it be more than just letters on a page. Would it come alive to us today? If there's anyone in here today that does not know Christ as their Savior, my prayer is, God, that they would hear the gospel. They would see the miracle of Christmas, maybe for the first time ever. And God, would you work a miracle in their lives today? And for anyone that's struggling, Lord, may this be an encouragement to them to press on. In Christ's name, amen. The miracle of Christmas. What I want to do is I want to notice a couple of things out of that text that I read, and then I want to start transitioning us over to John chapter 9. One thing to notice is the fact that Jesus, 
when he was given that name, that name literally means Jehovah is salvation. So when God sent Christ to be born of the Virgin Mary, it was no accident. And I think one of the greatest miracles we can, we can say about Christ, uh, Christmas time is the fact that God became flesh. I know that's very simple and very direct, but it's the truth. The fact that a holy God came and dwelt on this earth in a body of flesh is an absolute miracle in itself. But then you think about the fact that God foretold it through the prophets. In other words, the prophets foretold of Him. In Isaiah seven fourteen, it says, Therefore the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin will conceive and bear a son and shall call His name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And even the prophet Daniel, we could look at chapter 7, we could look at chapter 9, but I want you to listen to 7, verse 13 and 14. He says, I was watching in the night vision, and behold, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. And then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. Psalm 8, verse 4 through 6 what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you visit him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with the glory and honor, and have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. Jesus almost always told of himself as being the son of man when he would recognize himself he would use a phrase called the son of man this is one of the things that i believe started stirring indignation within the pharisees is that jesus christ was claiming to be the one that we just read about that he would be the one that would come that would be god in the flesh the messiah and it amazes me that the pharisees were not even looking for jesus you would think that the ones that are holding those uh, scriptures, the ones that are uh, in charge of teaching those scriptures, would actually be looking for the Messiah. But it seems that they weren't, even though it was foretold of him by the prophets. Not only was it foretold of him by the prophets, but the world had to face him. The world had to face Jesus. And I think that this is a very important thing to lay down right here at the very beginning. That, that in that day and time when Christ was born, it was no longer God talking to men without being there in bodily form himself. He actually confronted them face to face as a man confronts a man. Uh, Isaiah 53.3 says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. We hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Luke 9, 58 says, And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, the birds of air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Matthew eleven nineteen, The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Look, a glutton and a wine-bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, but wisdom is justified by her children. Matthew 17, 12 but I say to you that Elijah has come already, and they did not know him, but did to him whatever they wished. Likewise, the Son of Man is also about to suffer at their hands. 
that one way or the other, Christ is going to have to be dealt with. In his day and time when he was here, they, they had to deal with him. They had to uh, come to the grips with the fact that he was there and that he was, well, the real deal, the stuff. He, he, he was doing what only God could do. Uh, even in our text that we just read just a moment ago, we see that you've got Mary and you've got Elizabeth, and neither one of them are looking for what God brought into their life. Elizabeth had long given up the idea that she would have children, but yet she had a child, John the Baptist. Mary is not looking to be with child, especially in her situation, but yet, what do we find? We find that Jesus works a miracle in her life, and even to prove to Mary that God can do absolutely anything He wants to do, He used the illustration of Elizabeth. He's, she's like, how can these things be? And He said, take for instance, your cousin Elizabeth, she's now six months the one who was called barren. And he makes the statement there in the text, the angel does, that with God, and, and, and he doesn't say with God nothing is impossible. It actually says with God nothing will be impossible. I, I love the fact that my God is a God that is not just a God of miracles the day that Jesus was born. I'm glad that my God is not a miraculous God only in those certain instances but he will continue being a miraculous God. As a matter of fact, when we look at it, God never forsook his deity. I just want to lay these things on out so that I can get into this other part. I was trying to figure out how, how I would walk through these things today because it's not my normal pattern of things, but bear with me. He never forsook his deity. That God, yes, he became flesh, dwelt among us, but there was a difference between him and us. God never in Christ forsook his deity. His purpose still remains. John 1, 14 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld the glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Luke 9, 10 says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, we've heard regularly around here for a few weeks now. But listen again. And Jesus came and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Our... Christ, he, he never gave up his deity. The plan that he had laid before the foundation of the world, he is consistently working on that plan in this text, and he's still working today. He's going to carry out to its fullest extent everything that he ever claimed he would ever do. Everything that God has planned in your life, God plans to do. Everything that God has planned according to this universe, according to this earth, According to end times, he's going to work out. He never gave that up. And to make that come through, he also never gave his power up. His power still remains. He's just as much God today as he ever was. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 9, For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. 
they were so overwhelmed by him, they did not know what to do with him, and many still don't. And that's something I want you to kind of carry with you as we go into this transition. They, they didn't know what to do with him when he came, even born in the manger. They didn't know what to do with him when he was walking the streets. They didn't know what they, to do with him when he was interacting, when he was performing miracles, when he was speaking the things that he was speaking. They didn't know what to do with him. It seemed that to them that he had wisdom beyond anybody's years. That he was doing things that only God himself could do, but they didn't realize it was him. They didn't know what to do with him. It's amazing, isn't it, that those people that were so close were so clueless. I mean, you think about it from Bethlehem where Jesus is born to Jerusalem. They say it's about a five and a half mile distance. But yet the wise men traveled at least 600 miles. Could be much more, but they at least from the province of Babylon, they at least traveled over 600 miles. They sought through the scriptures that they had received. And you got to understand when, when uh, the children of God were captive in Babylon in the days of Daniel and, and others, they're foretelling of the coming of the Messiah as God is giving them inspiration to pin these words down, as He is giving them the, the things of prophecy. And their own people are not looking for Him, but yet here are these wise men, pagans, and they come on a journey, on a search. The, the holders of the, the, the Word of God, the, the ones that are teaching the Scriptures, five and a half miles away from the baby being born. But yet here are people who don't even at that time believe in God or care about Him, but yet come looking because they heard of a miraculous thing that was going to take place. It's amazing, isn't it, that we can be that close sometimes but not quite be there. Matthew 9, 6, But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on the earth to, for, to forgive sin. Then he said to the paralytic, Arise and take up your bed and go to your house. John 5, 26-27, For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself, and has given him authority to execute judgment also, because he is the Son of Man. So, in Christ is the miracle of Christmas. But I wonder, here's the question. I wonder if that miracle still exists today. Does the miracle of Christmas still exist today? I want to take your attention to John chapter 9. And I want to walk through this story we have in John chapter 9 for the remainder of our time. And I want to try to show you the miracle of Christmas in the life of people after the babe is born. We all, we all love the scene, don't we? At Christmas time, we always put out the manger scene and we, we celebrate the birth of Christ, rightfully so. But is it still a miraculous thing even today? Now that we're some 2,000 plus years on the other side of this, is it still a miracle today? And is God still working? In John chapter 9, we find Jesus with his disciples. 
and they're walking, and they run across a man that is born blind from birth. His disciples ask him, Master, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, that's not unusual, is it? Even in our day and time, sometimes we tend to believe that if somebody seems to be afflicted with something, that God doesn't love them or God doesn't care about them, or maybe they just don't have enough faith. I've heard that stuff so much that it makes me sick on my stomach. I have to turn on every once in a while and listen to some other people preach. Some folks, I really enjoy listening to preach, but there's some out there that would simply tell you that the reason that you have going on in your life what you have going on is because you just don't have enough faith. You could get out of this if you just had a little more faith. I'd love for them to have been able to come and talk to both of my grandmothers who both died of a sickness. One from dementia, one from cancer. And I can promise you one thing, if they would have come in talking that junk into their house, they probably would have got a broom and some scripture on their way out the door. Because here's the truth of the matter, all of us are going to die, right? None of us know what's going on in our bodies right at this moment. I mean, it's kind of like the story with Lazarus. God did that miracle just to prove that he was God and that he was the Lord over the resurrection. But nevertheless, Lazarus is going to die again. Eternal life is eternal life, but it ain't here. Can I get a witness? It's not here. I have eternal life, but I'm not going to live for eternity here. And so sometimes we look around at people and we wonder why they're going through what they're going through. Does God care about them? Well, I promise you that, they, that if they are his children, he does care about them. As a matter of fact, Jesus answered them and said, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. Now that's a thing to ponder, isn't it? That this thing happened to this man. He was born blind from birth. Now he is an adult man. And he was allowed by God to not have sight until this time that we're reading about, just so that the works of God might be seen. Sometimes people think that God doesn't love them because they are suffering and going through th things. It could possibly be that God's wanting to use what's going on in your life to bring glory to himself. We don't ever want suffering in our lives for the glory of God, do we? Let's just be honest. I don't, know, I don't in my life wake up and go, you know what, I just wish I was afflicted today. Some people might say, you are afflicted. <laughs> but I, I don't wake up and go, I, I want some sickness. I want some thing to happen in my life today so that God might receive glory. That's not the thought that comes upon my mind. And I doubt very seriously that's the thought that comes upon anyone's mind. We look at things so temporally, don't we? We look at things so in the short term of, of things. This man, he says, was born blind so that the works of him who sent me would be done. He says he must work while it's day. The night is coming when no man works. As long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. When he had said this, and I'm going to paraphrase some of this stuff, but when he had said this, he spat on the ground, made clay, put it on the man's eyes, and said, go and wash in the pool of Siloam. The man did exactly what Jesus said. He went down to the pool of Siloam, he washed, and he could see. 
I love the simple facts of this story. We didn't have to take a uh, theological test to figure this stuff out. We, we didn't have to go study for years and years and years. It's just so simple. And as a matter of fact, the man's going to reiterate this multiple times. Because when he comes back, you've got to understand that the people that he has been around all of his life, they're amazed. Wow. This dude was blind from birth. Now he sees them. One of the reasons that they're so amazing, he'll testify of this. One of the things that astounded the Pharisees so much and astounded his neighbors so much and even astounded him was there was no record of a man being born blind ever being made to see. Now, if anybody would have record of it, you would think that the Pharisees would have record of it, right? You would think that the religious folks of that day, because if anybody could make a blind man see, it would surely have to be Jehovah God. He's the one that opened the Red Sea. He's the one that was a pillar of cloud by day and fire by night to the Israelites. I mean, he's the one that consumed the altar at Mount Carmel with the prophets of Baal. I mean, he's the one that stopped the mouths of the lions in the den of lions with Daniel. He's the one that gave Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego asbestos suits, if you will, that they weren't even touched in the fire, not even a hair of their head was burned. He's that God. And we have all these records of what God has done, all these miraculous things, even how he would open the ground up and swallow countless hundreds of people. All of these things, how he stopped the sun and the sky, but no record of him opening the eyes of the blind. Until this day. And so when it happens, everybody is astounded. Everybody is, is just amazed that this man who was blind now sees. And verse 8 says, Therefore his neighbors and those who previously had seen that he was blind said, Is not this who sat and begged? Some said, This is he. Others said, He's like him. And then he says, Hey, it's me. Therefore they said to him, How were your eyes opened? And he answered and he said to them, A man called Jesus made clay, anointed my eyes, and said to me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and I received sight. <laughs> no way to get things twisted sideways here, is it? It's like, hey, this dude named Jesus made clay, put it on my eyes, told me to go wash in the pool of Siloam. I did, and I see. What he said was going to happen, it happened. And then they said to him, where is he? He said, I don't know. So they took him to the Pharisees. Why did they take him to the Pharisees? Well, I believe they took him to the Pharisees because of the fact that they wanted to go see how this happened. They wanted the religious leaders of the day to put a hand on how this happened, why it happened. I mean, we've never seen this happen before. Did God do it? Did man do it? Did the enemy do it? Who, who did this? So they brought him who was formerly blind to the Pharisees, and that was a Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Well, Jesus is in trouble already. He's working great miracles on the, on the Sabbath. Then the Pharisees also asked him, saying, how did he receive his sight? He's said to them, he put clay on my eyes, I washed, and I see. I love this man. I love how straight to the point he is. I love how he just tells the facts. This man is not some prophet. He's not some theologian, yet he's going to preach an amazing sermon here in just a few minutes. But he just says, man, I don't know. He 
Put clay on my eyes, I washed, I see. That's all I know. Therefore, some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. Others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. Can I just tell you this? There's always a division among the people because of Jesus. There's always a division among people because of Jesus. Then and now. Why? Because Jesus, they've got to confront him. Like I told you earlier, they have to deal with him. Why? Because he is on a purposed mission. He's not skirting them. He's not hiding. He's on mission. He is, he is tracking his plan, and his, he's going to fulfill his plan. There are people today in our world that wants, want to stop, even today, the name of Jesus from being used. They want the exclusivity of Christianity to be washed out. Why? Because we are exclusive in what we believe. In other words, the book says it, we believe it, Christ gave it, we live it, through the power of the Holy Spirit of God. What's happened in our lives, if you are a child of God today, what's happened in your life is a miracle, and it continues to be a miracle. We, we are we're thinking different, we're living different, we're talking different, we're walking different, and it just does not line up. And people do not want absolute truth. And I say people don't. For the majority of folks that want things their way, they do not want absolute truth because if you draw absolute truth, if there is a, a moral law giver, then there is a moral law. And if there is a moral law, then there is a line drawn in the sand as to what's right and what's wrong. But if you want relative truth, if you want truth that is relevant to what you feel is right today, and maybe tomorrow it may change, and so it's not relevant anymore, and we want to change it, then you can't have this absolute truth standing in the way. And I'm afraid in, in so many ways that's what's happening in our world today that we live in personally. And, and I want you to hear what I'm fixing to say, and I want you to catch every bit of it, if you will. The reason that people will decide to go with relative or relevant truth as it fits certain situations, it is not because they care about the life of a particular color of skin of people. They don't care about white people, black people, brown people, green people. They, they don't care about uh, gay people. They don't care ab about... Uh, straight people, they don't care about transgender people, they don't care about nobody. What they care about is power. It's always been that way. That's why the Pharisees, the religious people of that day, want nothing to do with Jesus because Jesus is a threat to them. He is a threat to their way of life. And so they want him gone. He has power. And now here he is performing a miracle that's never been seen before. And it scares them. Because if he can do stuff like this, then how are we going to keep things under control? Because they can't do things like this. And there's a reason that, well, there's a reason that they're struggling. And I'm telling you today, that if you want to live a life that's pleasing to God, you have to stick with absolute truth. There are times I don't like what this book says. 
I don't. There are things in the Old Testament I don't like. But I'll show you in a minute why I believe it. Let's go just a little further. He says here, well, they said in verse 17, they said to him, uh, said to the blind man, what do you say about him because he opened your eyes? He said, he's a prophet. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him who had received his sight. And they said, I mean, they asked them saying, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? And his parents answered them and said, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But by what means he now sees, we do not know, or who opened his eyes, we do not know. He's of age, ask him and he'll speak for himself. Now listen to what it says. The parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had agreed already that if anyone confessed that he was Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. Do you see that they have already got a premeditated plan to take out anybody that is going to promote Jesus as being the Son of God. And so his parents, fearing that they would be put out of the religious circle, kind of skirted the question and said, won't you ask him for yourself? This is our son. He, he was born blind, but I don't know how, how he was made to see. And so they wanted to stay in God's favor, but deny his power. They wanted to stay in a... In a and an idea of God's favor because they wanted to be able to still go to church. But they wanted to deny his power. Therefore, his parents said, he's of age, ask him. So they again called the man, I gotta love it, who was blind and said to him, give God the glory. We know this man is a sinner. Now, here's where it gets really cool for me. He answered and said, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. Just like religious people want to be. Well, if you can repeat some catechism, if you can tell me all these theological things, then I guess we'll call you a Christian. When the truth of the matter is, you've got this man here, and he says, I don't even, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, now I see. And they said to him again, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered and I said, I told you already. Matter of fact, he's told them multiple times, and you did not listen. I think this is an important time to start listening to every word we've got here. He said, I told you already, but you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to be one of his disciples? Or do you also want to become one of his disciples? Now I want you to think about what's going on here. This man, I believe in this statement, is declaring that he is now a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, that's one of the most important things that you could grab in your life, I think, as a Christian, and especially in the day and time we have before us and the year to come here, here at Chestnut Ridge. 
because discipleship is going to be a big, big thing this year and following. But there's a lot of people that claim to be religious. There's a lot of people that claim to be Christians. But are you a follower of Jesus Christ? You hear what he said? He said, are you wanting me to teach you so that you can be a follower of Christ too? You want, me to, you want me to train you? You want me to teach you how to be a disciple, which is a learner, a follower of Jesus Christ? And they reviled him and said, you are his disciple, but we are Moses' disciple. Now, I want you to think, that's a, that's a statement, isn't it? Here's the living God before them. He has worked a miracle that nobody has ever seen before. They know the Scriptures, but they only want to use of the Scriptures what they want to use. And they revile against him, and they say, we are Moses' disciple. For they said, for we know that God spoke to Moses. As for this fellow, we don't know where he is from. Then the man answered and said to them, why, this is a marvelous thing that you don't know where he's from. Now, we know that Christ came from heaven to be born of the Virgin Mary. We know that. That God overshadowed Mary's womb, and, and, and there the Holy Spirit of God conceived within her, the Bible says. The body of the Lord Jesus Christ. And here he is standing right in front of them. And they're taking Moses over Jesus. Verse 29, we know that God spoke to Moses. As far as this fellow, we do not know where he's from. And the man answered and said once again to him, to them, why, this is a marvelous thing that you do not know where he is from, yet he has opened my eyes. Now we know that God does not hear sinners. Now I want you to listen. This is the man that was born blind. He's starting to speak now. And I think this is the coolest short sermon you'll ever hear. He says, now we know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does His will, he hears Him. I think that's an absolute beautiful lesson that the whole church could learn right there. Did you hear what he says? And we know that God does not hear who? Now, I'm going to get you with me if you would. You don't have to, but listen, let, let, let's, let's go with the, uh, the text here. Now, we know that God does not hear sinners. So many people talk about praying to God. The question is, does God hear? But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does His will, He hears Him. Since the world began, it has been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of one who was born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Now he's laid it out for them. He is telling all that he knows about the, the, these things. I was blind, I see. He made clay, told me to wash, I see. He said, it's kind of amazing, isn't it, that you claim to be the religious leaders, and you, you're the ones teaching us, but yet you don't know where he's from. And just to prove himself as to who he says he is, he opened the eyes of one that was born blind, and nobody's ever seen this happen before.
And they answered and said to him, you were completely born in sin. Don't you just love it? As if they weren't completely born in sin. In other words, we're, we deserve what we've got. You don't deserve it. We deserve to be with God because we're better than you. Doesn't that happen a lot of times around religious circles? As if we've earned something or deserve some special merit when God himself, by his grace, if we have if we are saved, if we have God on our side, it is because of unmerited favor. In other words, He gave us what we have. He, he, he came and He died for us. Even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We have no righteousness of our own. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us that our righteousness is but as filthy rags, that there are none righteous, not one, all of sin. I mean, we, we, we know that if God has worked on our behalf, it's nothing that we can boast about. Can I tell you why I believe the book, even though I don't like it sometimes? It's because when God opened my eyes to salvation, He changed me. I didn't know a whole lot then either. Somebody could say, what happened to you? I could say, I don't know, I couldn't see yesterday, but I can see today. And He's working. And He's continuing to work. And He's continuing to work. And the change that has been brought to my life, I cannot refute it. I can sit and try to reason it. There are times, and I know everybody's more spiritual than I am. That's for sure. I got that. But there are times in my life when I almost want to go, when I, especially when I'm reading the Old Testament, and I go, I don't like this. Matter of fact, I've even at times said, I don't even know if I want to follow on through with this. Oh, Lord, I'm just being honest with you. But then the Spirit of God within me challenges me with what God has done in my life. Now, let me just say this. If somebody has to make excuses for you, you might not be saved. If somebody has to make excuses for your life, you might not be saying, well, he, that's just how he is, preacher. That's how she is. No. That's how I was. God's changing me. I mean, I'm, I'm faced with a, with a God that took somebody who was arrogant and prideful and has been turning him into somebody who is humble. I couldn't even do that for myself. Somebody who couldn't, didn't, didn't know how, anything about Scripture, didn't understand nothing about Scripture. This gave him eyes to see, ears to hear. A heart to love people that I don't even know. To care about people that don't care about me. And, 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 all. and if you're saved, this is your life. I mean, it's a Christmas miracle. Beyond the, the cradle. Beyond the grave, it's a Christmas miracle. That God is still in the business of transforming people. This work that he did was just to show that he was God, just to testify of the fact that that day 
as the Bible is being transcribed, as the Bible is being pinned down to prove that he is who he says he is. As a matter of fact, do you know that God don't have to prove himself to you no more? He even said himself. He said, they've got Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. You wonder sometimes why God is not working so many signs and wonders anymore. It's because this book's finished. Now he says, let them hear this testimony. That's why we're now preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing how? By the word of God. Grace. Grace is the greatest word in our lives. Does God still do miraculous things? You better believe he does. But he don't do them at your beck and call. I love when people talk about they got the gift of healing. I love to put them in the car with me. And tomorrow, like if you, so if you got the gift of healing, jump in the car with me tomorrow. We'll go down to the hospital. We'll clean the place out. God heals. Amen. But I'll take the words of my brother here. Why? Because he chose to. And it's astounding to you when he does. Because you wonder why in the world would he do that for me but not do that for somebody else. And the answer to that question is I ain't got no idea. I've seen saints of God suffer and die. I've seen God do miraculous things in people's lives. I've had the privilege of praying with folks and God do miraculous things. But I've also seen churches upon churches come together and surround a house every single week for a month praying that God would heal somebody of cancer and he didn't. Not on this earth. And here this man is screaming out this testimony of the fact that God's done something and the religious people can't even see it. Listen, listen at, at this here and let's kind of bring things around. Verse 34, and they answered and said to him, you are completely born in sin. Are you teaching us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out and when he had found him, he said to him, do you believe in the Son of God? I love the progression in this. So often we think sometimes that, you know, well, you get saved and you become a disciple. But this man actually became a disciple before he professed that he believed. He was learning. He was like, something had grabbed him. And I, I believe that God uses a process sometimes for salvation. That, that God... His ways, I, I can't pin down for you every, the, how God works salvation in every individual life, you know, and how, how he brings it about. I know where salvation comes from. I know how, how salvation uh, is, is given by God, but, but how it works in your life and in my life, I look in this, you know, I look at the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul is going to persecute the church, and God just, bam, shows up in his life. He's down on his face. Christ is there before him. And then I look at this man. And this man, he is progressively learning about Christ. And then Christ comes and says, 
Do you believe in the Son of God? And he says, who is he that I might believe in him? And then he comes back and he says, it's him standing before you. And let me just say this. That's a great question to ask you today. Where are you at in this thing? Are you floundering around with decisions? I believe that there are a lot of folks that uh, have had the situation happen with them that many have had. If I could pin, like, pull things down and say, what is the most common thing that I have heard in the life of people as a testimony when the light bulb goes off? They go, I made a profession of faith, or I prayed a prayer, or I was baptized, or whatever, when I was young. But I didn't know what I was doing. I, I hear that a lot. Sometimes people will knuckle under the pressure at that moment and never go a step further. It's almost like they, they, they realize it, but they never do anything with it. It's almost like the parable that you hear about the seed and the soil and stuff. Some fell here, some fell there, some fell there, you know. And some of it's stolen, some of it's choked out by the briar, some of it falls on good ground. It's almost as if the Bible knows us. As if God knows us. I see sometimes uh, religious pressure. You know, how in the world could I actually confess that I didn't have it right. What will people think about that? It's amazing that we'll actually, we'll actually balance that, isn't it? Eternity spent separated from God in a place of torment forever and ever and ever and ever. Or risk being embarrassed in front of somebody. When the truth of the matter is, we all ought to be in agreement on the fact that the greatest thing that can happen in anybody's life is they come to faith in Christ, right? Amen? I mean, we, if God doesn't want anybody to perish, we sure, certainly shouldn't, right? I mean, we honestly shouldn't. I just don't know, man. I just, I mean, and, and I, sometimes it's amazing to watch the struggle. And I, and I can just say this as your pastor. I see it. I, I can see it in people's lives. I can see them just like it's wringing them out like a dish rag every week, week in and week out. And I'm sitting here going, I, I, can't, I can't make them. If I make them or I try to push them, then it's not going to be right. I'm not God. But I have to share the gospel. People are leaving into eternity every second. Actually, many per second. You ever watched the world clock before? Death and life, the births and deaths. I mean, man, those, the, they're, they're clicking like crazy. I mean, people are leaving out of here, just leaving out of here. Where are they going? They're going one place or another. They're, they're, they're going to be with God or they're not going to be with God. And that lasts forever. 
You know that life here is short. The Bible says it's just but a vapor. Here today, gone tomorrow. Just a short period of time. Here's a question. Has God so changed your life that no matter what you run across in this book or in life, you'll trust him? Because you can't explain the miracle of what God did. If so, it's great to know that you're my brother, my sister. What if he's not? If, if your life is, is maybe, maybe it's even a, a burden for you to come be with the family of God. Because you really don't understand it. You just don't get it. You just ain't, it just, it just ain't clicking. I call it the fifth liquor to the Christian alcoholic. Seems like that's what it is sometimes, isn't it? Maybe it's the shot of morphine for the pain. What, are you, what am I talking about? Coming to church. Come to church just to get God or my wife or my husband or my whoever off my back. Mama, daddy. You just come. I don't, I don't know why. Well, I do know why. But God's had the, the gospel on my heart. I was trying to get the sermon together and stuff like that. And I'm just every, every, the whole time it's just the, the gospel, the gospel, the gospel. And anybody that knows me good enough to know that they know that I don't just, I don't labor in this, like push this. I ain't the one, hey, let's sing a 17th verse of the invitation hymn. Somebody just might come. No. I, if you're going to come, you're going to come. If you're going to surrender where you are right now, that don't mean you have to come down here, but if you're going to surrender, you're going to surrender. But I know in my heart that God's, when God is burdening me with the gospel. So where are you at in this thing? And if you're a child of God, you shouldn't be sitting here watching your watch right now. You ought to be praying for the folks that might be lost. Might be a good thing to do. So where are you at in this? Are you just trying to get the edge knocked off? Today was just like any other Sunday. You just wanted to get the fifth uh, liquor for the Christian alcoholic fix. You just want the edge knocked off. Maybe you can't stand the pain no more and you just need a little shot of morphine. And coming to church is that little shot of morphine. Just to get God satisfied for another week, just to just so maybe it's because you're searching for God. Maybe it's because you're maybe maybe it's because you just I don't know what it is. See, it doesn't matter how many times you have quote unquote prayed some prayer, because first off, there is no sinner's prayer in the Bible. You won't find it. You go try to find the sinner's prayer in the Bible, you're not going to find it. Jesus preached a message. He said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, believe, confess. Follow him. That's So where are you at in things right now? This world's short. 
Time, time's ticking. And the gospel is here. I'm going to ask you to stand with me for just a moment. If you would, right where you're at. If you would, don't mind. If you would, and, and I'm not, I'm not trying to pull some, some trick. I just would, but if you would, right where you're at, just bow your heads for just a moment. Just so that you have time. Just you and God. So your neighbor has time, just, just them and God. And just simply this. I wonder if there's anyone in this room that would simply say, I really don't know if I'm saved. Would you just slide your hand up? I'm, I'm going to be the only one looking around. You just slide your hand up and say, you know, I really don't know if I'm saved. Anybody would just slide their hand up and say, maybe you'd even say, you know what, I'm lost. I know without a doubt I need to be saved today. I need, to, I need for God to save me today. God bless your heart. I got you. Anybody else would just simply say, here's what I'm going to do. If that's you, that every head still bowed, every eye closed, if that's you, I want to encourage you to do something right where you're at. I want you to simply talk to God yourself right now. You don't have to do it out loud. You can, but it don't matter. You don't have to do it out loud. Nothing in the book says that you have to do it out loud. God knows your heart. And simply that you would admit to God that you are a sinner. However you choose to do that, that you're a sinner. And you realize that today. But you also know that Jesus died to pay for your sins. And that today you're confessing by faith that the Bible says that Jesus died on the cross and it also says that he rose again on the third day to redeem you from your sinful nature, to give you his righteousness. And he commands you from this day forward to follow him. I want you to, if you confess those things with your heart right now before the Lord, the Bible says that you're a new creature. I didn't say it. The Bible said it. That your life is now different. The Holy Spirit of God will come live inside of you and you'll follow him now. You're going to start reading his word because that's what he commands you to do. You'll be baptized. You'll be a disciple of his. And one day you'll make disciples of your own for his glory. And I just want to say, he's got plans for you. I would just like for you to come find me when this service is over with. Let me know about this. And if there's any way that I can help you, I will help you with that. Now, if everybody wouldn't mind, just look this way. I'm, I know, well, the cool thing is, I ain't nowhere near going to have y'all out after 12 o'clock anymore. Amen? But I want, you to, I want you to work with me just, just a moment. If somebody's done that in this service today, th then we have a new brother, our new sister in Christ. I know God's working on somebody for sure, but I don't know how many. I ain't, I ain't God, but I'm just saying we ought to be excited about that. Every bit of numbness on one end Ought to be rejoicing from the knowledge and knowing this on the other end. Can I get a witness? 
we ought to be excited about it. That the Christmas miracle still works. Amen? That he's still working in our lives. And he loves you. He's got great plans for you. And there ain't nothing that our God won't be able to do. Let me pray. And we're, we're going to, I do want to sing this. Let's, we're gonna, I'm going to pray. We're going to sing this as our benedictory hymn. So let me give you that one announcement that we need to make before we, before we do this. Um, Wednesday night, we're going to have a sweet time in here. We're going to read segments of the Christmas story. And in between, we're going to sing some songs uh, to glorify God. Uh, kids, families, everybody's up here together. So if you can make it uh, Wednesday night, you don't have to worry about hearing me, uh, you know, so, so you're good. We'll pray a little bit uh, and stuff. And so it's just going to be a nice, nice time in the Lord uh, as, a fa as our church family together for Christmas. So I'm going to pray. We're going to sing one verse in a chorus, and, uh, and we'll be dismissed there after, at the end of that. So let's pray. Father, you're so good to us, God. I rejoice with exceedingly great joy knowing that the Christmas story didn't end at the manger, didn't end with the blind man, and it don't end today. That that story will be true and powerful for all of eternity. And so, Lord, we love you. We praise you. Thank you, God, for this time of year. If there are folks that are going to be traveling this week, God, would you please give them traveling mercies? I thank you, Father, for so many folks that put forth so much effort to bring glory and honor to you here. I thank you, God, for the miracle that we have before us today with Brock being here, and just thank you so much, God, for what you've done. We cannot thank you enough, God, for being so gracious, God, to choose to do this. Thank you, God. You can do anything that you want to do, God, whenever you want to do it. And we're praising you, God, that you so cho chose to do this miracle. And God will give you the glory for it in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening. You can reach us at life at crc.com.